What's up, family? You are tuned into Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. Law enforcement in this country kills approximately 1,200 people every single year. And yet the names of many are never said or known except for to their families and friends. What's more, law enforcement agencies and other state actors harm our community in a myriad of ways that also go unnoticed, like profiling, sexually assaulting, and wrongfully incarcerating our people. If we don't know what's happening, then we can't fight back. We cannot adequately organize a response. So every week on Law and Disorder, we are going to do a roundup of news related to state violence. We hope this segment serves to expose, agitate, and build. This is the State Terror Roundup for the week of September 26, 2022. A larger panel of the Ninth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals on Monday blocked California's first-in-the-nation ban on for-profit private prisons and immigration detention facilities, finding that it is trumped, no pun intended, by the federal government. A three-judge appellate panel last year rejected the 2019 state law that would have phased out privately run immigration jails in California by 2028. The law would have undermined a key piece of the nation's detention system for immigrants. Read, it would be less profitable to lock up the people we use as slave labor for our produce and livestock. The law, signed by Governor Gavin Newsom, was one of many efforts to limit California's cooperation with the federal government as then-President Donald Trump imposed hardline policies on immigration enforcement. But despite his many, many campaign promises, the Biden administration has continued the U.S. government's opposition to the law on constitutional grounds, as well as its persecution of our immigrant relatives. The GEO Group Incorporated, which operates two such facilities in California, sued to block the law. Attorney General Rob Bonta wrote the law when he was in the state assembly. His office said it is still reviewing the decision, but is, quote, deeply disappointed, end quote, by the decision. Source Politico. Incarcerated workers at all of Alabama's major correctional facilities have begun a general strike and protest of conditions and legislation that organizers believe have created a, quote, humanitarian crisis, end quote, within the state prison system. An additional protest of non-incarcerated individuals, many with friends and families in state prison facilities, is occurring concurrently with the strike inside. Demands include a repeal of the Habitual Offender Act, an end to life without parole, a reduction of the 30-year minimum for juvenile offenders down to 15 years before parole eligibility, and a more streamlined review process for medical furloughs and elderly incarcerated individuals. Additional demands include presumptive sentencing standards be made retroactive for all incarcerated peoples, a repeal of the drive-by shooting statute, and the creation of a statewide conviction integrity unit. Incarcerated workers provide the majority of essential services to correctional facilities from working as cooks, servers in prison kitchens, as runners, as maintenance and upkeep service workers, as well as production of furniture, clothing and license plates that are mostly sent outside of the prison system for others to profit off of. Certainly not the folks inside doing the labor. Source, Alabama Political Reporter. A federal judge has ruled that children in Louisiana's juvenile detention facilities, some as young as 12 years old, can be moved to Angola's former death row unit, even though the judge wrote it, quote, will likely have deleterious psychological ramifications, end quote. The facility, one of the most violent in the nation, previously housed the state's male death row prisoners until 2006 when they were moved to another building at Angola, which is also the site of the state's execution chamber. Youth sent to Angola, the state's oldest and only maximum security prison, would remain under the authority of the Office of Juvenile Justice, that's an oxymoron, and be held in a separate building from adult prisoners. 
In August, several law firms filed a class action suit challenging the proposed transfers as unconstitutional and in violation of a federal law mandating complete separation between incarcerated adults and youth. In March, the Marshall Project, ProPublica, and NBC News published an investigation into a Louisiana juvenile detention facility where teenagers were physically assaulted by staff, held in solitary confinement for weeks, and denied court order services. Last month, the Louisiana Illuminator reported that job applicants flagged as, wait for it, high risk for sexually abusing youth would still be considered for employment in OJJ's quote-unquote secure care facilities. Youth could be sent to Angola for a variety of behaviors, including committing certain acts of violence against a staff member or possessing marijuana, according to a policy approved by the OJJ Deputy Secretary in August. The policy would also allow for the transfer of up to four youth classified as seriously mentally ill and states that young people with significant developmental disabilities should be referred to the unit on a case-by-case basis. I want to read that again. Youth with significant developmental disabilities should be sent to Angola. Clients for the young people say that the young people are, quote, terrified, end quote. Yeah, I'm terrified for them too. Source, Elizabeth Wilde Greenberg, The Appeal. A white former police officer charged in the fatal shooting of a black man at a Texas gas station two years ago has been acquitted of murder. The victim, Jonathan Price, 31 years old and a former college football player, was leaving a convenience store at the same time another person entering the shop initiated a so-called pushing match, according to family attorney Lee Merritt. The pushing match was over in five seconds and Price was unarmed. The officer had been dispatched to the gas station and tried to detain Price, who quote, resisted in a non-threatening posture, end quote, and walked away. The officer used a taser and then fired his service weapon. The officer, Sean Lucas, a former jail employee who had been with the Wolf City Police Department for less than six months, was arrested two days after the shooting and booked on suspicion of murder. On October 8, 2020, he was fired over what local officials called his egregious violation of departmental policies. Yeah, shouldn't tase and shoot people as they're walking away, particularly if they aren't even why you were called to the scene. Source, NBC News. According to a recent report by the Department of Justice, the federal government has failed to count thousands of deaths in law enforcement custody over the past three years. The report, authored by the Office of the Attorney General, offers an unprecedented accounting of the government's neglect in tracking deaths, read murders in U.S. prisons and jails and at the hands of police as required under the Death in Custody Reporting Act, or DCRA. Since October 2019, the DOJ has missed. At least 18% of all deaths in state prisons, 39% of deaths in local jails, and between 62 and 71% of deaths in police custody. In total, more than 5,000 deaths in the criminal, quote-unquote, legal system have gone uncounted over the past nearly three years. Fifteen states failed to report any arrest-related deaths in that period. Seven states failed to report any deaths in local jails. Congress passed the DCRA in December 2014, prompted in part by the high-profile murders of Michael Brown and Eric Garner. The legislation requires states and federal law enforcement agencies to report all deaths that occur in prisons, jails, and immigration detention facilities, as well as all fatalities that occur during police interactions with civilians. States that fail to report data to the federal government risk losing up to 10% of their federal funding. The absence of official data has left journalists and researchers, not to mention advocates, organizers, and impacted families, to rely on open source data to fill critical gaps in our understanding of the extent of deaths in law enforcement custody, which, from my purview, is equivalent to genocide. 
The 2020 investigation by Reuters documented more than 7,500 deaths in 500 U.S. jails between 2008 and 2019, finding a 35% increase in death rates over the past decade. The UCLA Law COVID Behind Bars data project suggests that at least 3,000 incarcerated people have died from COVID since the start of the pandemic. But this figure may be missing thousands of additional deaths as there is no consistent standard for reporting COVID-related fatalities in custody. DCRA's failures have also left the public with no official data on the number of people killed by police each year, although data collected by mapping police violence using open source methods finds that police have killed at least 8,224 people since DCRA became law in December of 2014. This figure is almost certainly an undercount. Source, our friends at The Appeal. This has been the State Terror Roundup for the week of September 26, 2022. The State Terror Roundup soundtrack is provided by Coffee Brown, an Oakland musician, singer, and songwriter who's been a force in the Bay Area's hip-hop and soul scene since the early 1990s. You can check her out at kofybrown.com, and her website and socials are linked from our site at kpfa.org. A shout-out to the team at the Anti-Police Terror Project who helps curate the content for this segment. You've been listening to Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. That's it for this episode, family. You can find more information about topics and guests in this episode's show notes. Law and Disorder is produced at KPFA. That's listener-supported radio on the Pacifica Network. The show is produced by Jesse Strauss and hosted by me, Kat Brooks. Our theme music was composed by Steve Raskin of Fort Knox 5. If you like what you heard, please follow us on social media at Law and Dis, that's D-I-S, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Feel free to holler at us about something you heard or send us a show idea at lawanddisorder at kpfa.org. You can also find our content live at 8 a.m. weekdays on KPFA. That's 94.1 FM in the Bay Area. Our show and all of KPFA's programs are funded exclusively by you, the listener. And if you're in a position to support us, please donate today at kpfa.org. Take care of yourself and take care of each other. We all we got, fam. <laughs>